Well, I have to admit it's the first time I've ever preached to what looks like a bunch of bank robbers. This is, uh, <laughs> this is engaging. So I was at Texas A&M. I'm a rabid Alabama fan, and I lived at Texas A&M for 33 years. We have any Aggies in here? <laughs> I did learn one thing at Texas A&M. They asked me one time, do you guys do a lot of evangelism? And I said, we don't do any evangelism because all Aggies go to heaven. The reason they all go to heaven is in 33 years, I never met one that I thought had reached the age of accountability. So they all, they all go. It is good to be here. Love Matt and Valerie. Love their family. Uh, anytime you spend time at home and just enjoy it, you know there's a richness in the home. And you also know that Matt uh, way over married. I don't appreciate him giving me the most difficult to preach on passage in Colossians, but that's what he gave me. So Colossians 2, verse 20, we're going to start there now. I grew up in a Southern Baptist church. That's all I've ever known. I've never been Methodist. I've never been Presbyterian. I didn't do drugs. I didn't sleep around. I don't have those really cool testimonies that a lot of people think they have. So I... Uh, but. Every church that I grew up in was pretty much the same, from Tennessee to Georgia to Colorado to Alabama, back to Louisiana, back to Alabama. Every Southern Baptist church I grew up in was pretty much the same. You had every Sunday the exact same scenario. No matter where we were, Tennessee to Colorado, it was always the same. Uh, it was a call to worship. Pastor did a long pastoral prayer, sang a couple of hymns, first, second, and fourth verse never the third verse then he preached a long sermon and 99 out of 100 were topical great guys but always topical and then you close with an invitation there was always someone that sang a special right before he preached and so it really was the same no matter where what state I was in and what happened over time is we kind of developed this situation where two things were true Every church I went to were good people. They loved Jesus. They believed everything that's written in the first part of Galatians about Christ. He's the creator. He's the redeemer. They believed everything correctly about Jesus, and they loved him. But the problem came, the second issue that really kind of developed, because it was always the same cookie cutter, is we developed a lot of legalism. We got caught up in certain ways we did things so that when my generation started coming back into the church in the 60s and 70s, you had in every church, uh, Southern Baptist, you had an organ and a piano and you didn't have a guitar or drums. And so we started bringing them into the church. Oh my, church went bonkers because that's not what they were used to. And again, it's not because they were mean. It's not because they were jerks. But it's what they'd grown up with. We've become accustomed to it. We love Jesus, but we had this legalistic mindset. I think that's exactly what you have in the church of Colossae. These are not mean people. This is not Corinth where people are getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. And the rich people have food and the poor people don't. And the rich people don't care. You have people who don't believe in the resurrection, a guy immoral, nobody cares. They're puffed up about it. This is not Corinth. This is, I think, 
pretty much a Southern Baptist church. They love Jesus, they believe in Him, they're committed to Him, but somehow legalism has crept in and has literally begun to control the church, which is what always happens. Liberalism generally finds itself where people want to pull back from Jesus. Legalism generally finds itself where people are in love with Jesus because somebody will come in and say, hey, you ought to do this. This will make you stronger in Jesus. And all of a sudden, we buy into man's rule instead of freedom in Jesus Christ. Why do we do that? Look at what he says, particularly in verse 23. These are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion, self-abasement, severe treatment of the body. That is exactly right. We hear things that sound good. We love Jesus. We want to be our best for him. Somebody we respect comes along, gives us a rule, we buy into it, we pull that rule in, pretty soon we have all these different rules that are man-made, that are in control of our life. We have no idea, because we love Jesus and want to be our best. And so here's what he writes to counteract that. Now listen, listen to what he says, verse 20. If you have died with Christ, to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men? He says, why in the world have you stepped away from where, where you started? He says, you've died to the elementary things of the world. Now remember, He's talking to two groups of people, right? Jews and Gentiles. They both died to that. He's referring back to the moment they got saved. Both Jew and Gentile had to give up the elementary things of the world. That is, they had to give up the idea that there's a God you make okay with you by what you do and don't do. Every other religion except Christianity, that's the belief system. If you were a Jew, you were coming out of the idea, okay, I've got this Old Testament, I've got to be circumcised, I've got to do this and this and this and this, and then Jehovah will be okay with me. But if you're a Jew and you've come to Christ, you came to a place where you said, listen, the law doesn't save me. I'm saved by the blood of Jesus Christ at Calvary. Not by what I did, not by what I didn't do, but what he did and what he didn't do that qualified him to die on the cross. I am saved by what he did and didn't do and his blood shed, not by what I do and don't do. Gentile was the same way. You're Gentile, though, you had a bunch of gods you had to worry about. Something bad happened in your life, you had to figure out which god was mad at you and what you needed to do to make him okay with you. So the Gentile died to that. They came to the place where they said, there's one God, it's Jehovah. He put his son on the cross. He died for me. And through his blood and what he did, I'm okay. So what he does is he says, look, you weren't saved by what you do and don't do. So why now are you living off all these man-made rules when you gave them up to get saved? And here's the beauty. There are things open to you that are yours because of what Jesus did that have nothing to do with what you do. And we're going to stay in Colossians, but I want you to go over to Romans 8. I want you to look at a couple of things with me real quickly. I want you to look at what he says. We're going to start in verse 1. Listen. Romans 8, here's 1. 
Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When I come to Jesus and I say, I don't believe I have to do anything to be okay. I think it's what you did in your death on the cross that makes me okay. Number one, I'm completely forgiven. If you leave a church like this and you feel guilt when you walk out the room, you do not understand who you are in Jesus Christ. You have been absolutely forgiven. And you're forgiven until the day you die. Look at what he says in verse 4. The requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Number two, you actually have the ability to be holy. Not to keep a bunch of men's commands, but you have the ability to actually be holy because the Holy Spirit indwells you. Look at verse 15. You have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you've received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're children of God. You have this personal, experiential relationship with the Father, not because of anything you did, but because of what Jesus did, didn't do, his death on the cross, his resurrection. You now have a personal, experiential relationship with the Father where you can actually hear his voice. You didn't do anything to earn that. He gave that to you. And then my favorite, look at the Baptist verse, 28. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Why is that true? Look in verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. We don't know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words and he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God I don't care how bad the pandemic is I don't care what happens in your life at some point God does something good why because of what you do and don't do no because because of the Holy Spirit in you praying for you all of that, my forgiveness, my relationship, my holiness, my ability that no matter what I face, I'm going to come out good because the Father has put His Spirit in my life and He's interceding for me. All of that, not based on anything I've done, but based exclusively on what Jesus did for me. I don't live in men's rules because I wasn't saved that way. I was saved through the blood of Jesus Christ. So Paul says, you've died to all this stuff here. Everything you have is because of Jesus Christ, not because of what you've done. So why in the world are you now living by what people tell you to do instead of going back and living in Jesus Christ? And then he adds one more thing. Look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 23. These are matters which are sure the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion, self-abasement, severe treatment of the body. Listen to this. But they are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Now listen. 
you want to know the difference between legalism and when it's in your life, when you have a rule in your life that you live by that doesn't make you more holy, then you give up that rule. It's real simple. I don't want rules in my life if they're not going to make me more holy. I want to be holy, which is why sometimes we fall for the rules. But if the rule doesn't make me more holy, I don't want the rule. And I, I mean, I'm telling you, we're Baptists. We love Jesus. We want to be what we ought to be. And sometimes we fall for stuff that simply isn't biblical. I was in my first church, fresh out of seminary. We had uh, 25 in worship. So we started the worship service at 5 to 11. I'd been there about two months. And I finally asked somebody, I said, why don't we start at 10.55 instead of 11 o'clock? They said, well, we started at 10.55 so we can in five minutes get all the music and stuff out and you can have an hour to preach. And that day, one sermon for me was about 15 minutes. So it would have meant four sermons. So I said, look, let's forget this. We'll just start at 11 o'clock. Well, when I made that change, my Sunday school director quit. Now, that may be no big deal in certain churches, but if you're in a small East Texas rural church, the Sunday school director is like the fourth person of the Trinity. <laughs> They're real important because they get up every Sunday morning and they read how much money came in, how many people were here last week, and how many people are here today. So he quit. Wasn't mean, wasn't hateful, wasn't spiteful. I didn't think anything about it, really. So I left about a year later, and the Sunday after I left, he became the Sunday school director again. So I asked somebody, I said, what happened? I said, well, he was livid because you changed the time from 5 to 11 to 11. And we've always done 5 to 11, and he quit in rebellion against what you did and now he's back because now we're back to 5 to 11. Now, I could be wrong, but I don't think it makes you more holy to start at 10.55 than 11 o'clock. I realize I could be wrong, but I don't think that. So when we get caught up in rules that really don't change us and make us more holy, you need to take those rules and do with them at Alabama what we do with Auburn. You hate them and you discard them. So you're going to chunk those rules, okay? Again, I, when I grew up in Southern Baptist Church, we had Sunday morning, Sunday school, Sunday worship. Came back that night for training union and Sunday evening worship. Now when you came back for training union, you had a little piece of paper you had to fill out. Whether you gave money, came to church and all that. And they would ask you, what did you guys do this afternoon? Now, if we said that we had played football, 
we got killed. If we said we watched football, no problem. But we couldn't play it, so we wound up. We would come to church and lie, because we didn't want to get yelled at. But we were legalistic in that you couldn't play football. Why? Anybody know? It's a day of rest. That's right. It's work. It's a day of rest. We should be sitting in front of the TV watching football instead of playing football. Now, I had people when I first came to Bryan in the same mentality. One person called me and said, I wanted you to know, Brother Chris. It's always amazing how people tattle on each other in churches. One of your deacons, I saw him Sunday afternoon. He was mowing his lawn. I said, well, we need to fire him then. Why would they be mad at that? Because Sabbath is a day of rest. Let me be clear what that means. The Bible indicates it's a day of rest from what you do. So if you mow yards six days a week, you can't mow them on the Sabbath. I'm there. But if you've been an accountant for six days, you can mow on the Sabbath. We have made this thing crazy. We live under rules, and I guarantee he was not less holy if he gave up mowing. And we do it with dress. The most fun thing as a pastor is when people whine about how you dress. I had been at Central, I came in August, I was about October, November, and if you know Texas at all, there is no winter, right? We have two seasons, hot, not hot. So I'm in the hot season. I'm preaching, it's Sunday night. The AC's gone out in the church. And I'm preaching hard, and I've got, back in those days, coat, tie, suit. I'm burning up, so in the middle of the sermon, I took my jacket off. I didn't chunk it, which I've been known to do. I put it gently on the seat. I finished my sermon. That week, the chairman of deacons calls me, and he goes, hey, man, Mabel called. I said, what about said she was furious. She called and said, Brother Chris took his jacket off in the middle of his sermon. I thought my chairman of deacons had a great response. He said, well, knowing our new pastor, if that's the worst thing he does, we're probably going to be okay. <laughs> but that's where we are. Not because we're mean, not because we're jerks, but because we love Jesus and we want to give him our what? our best it's not going to make a man a better preacher or more holy preacher depending on what he wears in the 60s and 70s and I don't remember which decade it was but it was late 60s when this started happening Jesus movement again started coming into the church there was a church in the south I can't remember what state but it was a church of about 200 people they had a center aisle, two sets of pews, people were there, and it's one of these days when everybody dressed, you know, coat, tie, everything, and there was an older deacon who always sat in the back, wingtip shoes, full suit, tie, immaculate, and he sort of sat in the back and governed the church from back there. 
So he looked, made sure everybody was dressed right, and everybody came a certain way. So this kid gets saved. He's like 19, college kid. Doesn't know anything about Jesus. All he knows is he's met Jesus, and he knows he should have a Bible, and he should be in church. That's all he knows. So he gets his Bible, and he goes to church, he doesn't know anything about church etiquette, goes to this church. Preacher started his sermon. He walks down to the front, doesn't sit in the pew, sits right here in front of the preacher, gets down on the ground, sits, has his Bible open, listening. Now, <clears throat> he's got sandals, blue jeans, and a tie-dye shirt. And he's on the front in front of the preacher, with his eyeball open like this, because that's all he knows. Everybody in the church, as he walked by, watch him walk by, and they also do this. They watch him walk by, and then they turn to the back to see what the old deacon is going to do. And sure enough, he gets up. And he's in his 80s, so he's shuffling. So he walks down to where this kid, and everybody is ready, right? And sure enough, grabs this kid with his hand on the shoulder. And this kid's kind of shocked and looks up, and he sits down on the floor next to the kid and sits with him the whole rest of the service. What he said to that church was, I'm going to have my wingtips every Sunday. I'm going to have my tie on every Sunday. I'm going to have my suit on every Sunday. But I know this, it doesn't matter how I dress. It matters what I do with the Word of God in my life. So, you've got to remember two things. You are not saved by what you do and don't do. You were saved by the blood of Jesus and what he did and didn't do. Don't let, it's well-meaning, don't let anybody put rules on you that don't really make you holy. You say, well, what's really the difference between holiness and some of these rules? How do you really define holiness? And it's important because in chapter 3 he's going to talk about it. So I tell you how you define it. It's real simple. I don't want in my life what made him go to the cross. I want in my life what qualified him to go to the cross. So what he did that was right, that made him able to take on my sin, I want that in my life. What made him go to that cross to bring me back to the Father, I don't want in my life. I want what qualified him I don't want what drove him to the cross. And that, I'm telling you, I've been doing this a long time. Real joy comes from two things. It comes from a personal encounter with Christ. Now listen, and it comes from his character formed in my life. One of the things he says here is men's commandments don't last, and they don't. I'm probably going to play football in heaven. I know there's golf in heaven. Paul said I finished the course, so I know there's golf there. 
but men's rules don't go there. But a relationship with him and his character stays. So I want him in my life. Him. And I don't want in my life what put him on the cross. And I do want in my life what qualified him to go to the cross. And that is where the richness of Christianity lies. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this church. Thank you for these people. Thank you for what you did for us in the cross. Keep us locked that we didn't do it, you did it. And Father, even from well-meaning people, don't let us live under anything that doesn't produce who you are in our life. Drive us back to that. Father, is anybody here today that does not know your son? Let today be the day they find him and set us free not to rules, but to you and to your holiness. I ask you that in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.